So what we're going to do is we are going to, Brad is going to minister and just really also he is going to sign. He has just written a book and I, and I want to promote this. It's Surprised by Mercy. This is fresh off the press and Liberty is actually in this book and he'll talk about that. And I'm excited about his story, their story. And they will have that in the back, and they'll sign copies, and he'll give you more details. If you purchase the book, there's actually money allocated to another ministry. But, Brad, this is awesome. So we want to promote that as well. And then afterwards, we are going to pray for Bill Bill and Susan Slappy. Um, I just felt several months ago that we needed to, under Global Alliance Networks, that we needed to ordain them as missionaries to West Africa, or really all over the world. And so we're going to pray for them at the very end. And Brad, being that Brad is here and has started Globe, started Globe Europe, he's the mission man, right? Wouldn't you want his hands laid on you to pray for? I would, right? I'd say, Bruce, I don't know about you, but I'll take Brad. And so, but I will join Brad and Jan as they pray for Bill and Susan at the end, and you'll be dismissed. Again, I know it's been a a packed day, but man, is not today important to you? Today is huge. It's huge for liberty. I appreciate everybody that chose to came out today to be a part of this. So that's what's going on. So let's give Brad Thurston uh, a big hand as he comes up. Amen. (laughs) What a joy it is to be back here with you. And, uh, I praise God. We, uh, we do have some slides somewhere. I guess we will put them up there. That, there no, that's us. <laughs> we are missionaries with Globe International. There we go. I wanted to say thank you, Liberty Church. Back when I was 25, that was, you know, eons ago, centuries ago. Um, I came to Birmingham, Alabama. I met Jon Snow and uh, David and Betty McCutcheon, and they became the first two people to invest in uh, this crazy 25-year-old and sent me to England. When I came back, they introduced me to Farrell and Margie Maugh, and they became the first people here at Liberty Church to invest in us, and they're the ones that introduced us to Bill Stamp, who introduced us to Liberty Fellowship and and the Globe International, and everything seemed to move from there. This church was the seed-planting church to a ministry that has touched more than 90 nations around the globe. Isn't that exciting? Incredible. The people that we have been able to send out from different nations. We went into northern Mozambique. I'm going to tell you about that because in northern Mozambique, when we sent missionaries there to establish uh, health centers, of natural health centers, using the food that they grow, that they grow there to make tinctures and, and all kinds of stuff. Incredible. They didn't have but two doctors for the whole of this particular people group of several hundred thousand. And I'm sitting there going, how do you help them? And, and people were dying, most of the kids, before they were five years old, over half of the, 
the, the child population died before they were five. And, and I'm sitting there saying that's all changed because of what God has started to do in this area. And, and I, I, I get so thrilled when I start to think about this, that here is a group of people that are primarily Muslim and mixed with animism, and they've got their witch doctors and their imams and all of that, and, and these Germans went there with the desire to see how God could move in a powerful way. In, and they prayed the strongholds down. And after 15 years, there's just a tremendous openness. The witch doctors are coming to get delivered from demons. The imams are preaching Jesus in their mosques. I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. It's all beginning to happen. And the people who first got saved and started to go out and share Jesus with other people within their tribe, the incredible thing there is that they, they, were, they were beaten, they were rejected, they were, they were cast down, and they would get up and go right back out to tell them that Jesus loved them. I, I sit there with that kind of thing, and, and you know, you, you can't just get around the bush with, you know, you, you have to follow the goat paths. You, you can't take... <laughs> can't take a vehicle across a raging river that comes whenever you don't know when it's going to happen. But you can put a bicycle or you can put a motorcycle on a dugout uh, tree stump and you can take it across into other areas. And because there's such a tremendous openness to the gospel, to miracles taking place, where, where the Muslims are coming to the Christians, asking them for prayer, for healing and deliverance. It's just an incredible thing that's happening right now. It is their time. And that's why when, uh, when, when Bruce, I got to say thank you. <laughs> In January, when he called me and said, can you come, we got to talking. I said, why do you want me to come? You know, and, and he said, Brad, you're an author. I said, yeah, if you could read German. <laughs> well, my books are out in German. He says, well, you probably ought to put it into English and, and, and bring it up and launch it here at this conference. And he's the one that pushed me to do it. And so we have, have the book here today. And, and I, I, I don't want to sell it. You can go on Amazon if you want to buy it. It'll, it'll be there. But what I want to do is I want more bicycles and more motorcycles for these people who are going to the Makua Nahara to see their souls saved. I want that to happen. And so every penny that you give as a donation to get one of these books uh, is going to go to help that ministry in northern Mozambique. There you go. Is that, is, that, is that a good idea or not? Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got something on my heart that I want to share with you, and that's about how to finish the race. Finishing the race. There we go. Thank you. You, you guys are with it. We're, <laughs> we're finishing the race. When, when you think about finishing the race, I know all of our hearts, those of us who've been walking with the Lord for a while. By the way, I got to tell you one story out of the book. Gotta I'm sorry. Go back. I got to go back to this. On page 117, you'll be able to read it. It's the story of Jerry Strong. I don't know how many of you knew Jerry Strong here in the church. Well, a few of you did. I want to tell you, this was incredible. They invited me to come to a, a men's retreat. We went down south of here somewhere on a campground, and, and we had this men's retreat. And I brought two young lads with me from Germany. And uh, at, at one point, we just had this idea. I don't know why, who came up with it, 
but we had all the men who had served in the Second World War. You know, we're going back a few decades here, right? And <laughs> come down and sit on the front row. And so Bill Stamp was one of them, and Jerry Strong was one of them. And these two young lads came out with basins of water and got down in front of them, took off their shoes and socks, and started to wash their feet, and they said, please forgive us for the sins of our fathers and our forefathers. It was, it was one of the most incredible breakthrough moments that I can think of in, in ministry, and, and Jerry Strong's just started to break out and weep and weep and weep. Next morning when we came back here, I said, Jerry, come on, you got to share the story. And he, he got up and he shared this incredible story about how when he was a teenager and all his buddies had signed up and gone over to fight the Germans, most of them had all died on D-Day. He got so mad and so angry that he signed up and he headed out and he had one desire to kill as many Germans as he could possibly kill. When the war was over, he came back home and he became uh, an elder here in the church. He's just a fine man, great cook, did smoke anything. <laughs> it was fabulous. He was just the nicest guy you'd want to meet. He said, but when... My son signed up and went to Germany. He was stationed in Germany. We went to visit him. And I'm walking down the street, and I see Germans my own age. He said, I had this thing rise up inside of me that I just wanted to kill them. He said, I, I, I had not realized that it was still in my heart, and it was capturing my soul. And I, I just... I, I had tried to push it down, but it, it just was there. It was horrible. He said, but yesterday when this young boy was washing my feet and asked for forgiveness, God touched me and cleansed my heart and delivered me from this sin in my life. And I'm sitting there going, this is the most incredible thing. You want to know why I went to Germany? Because I love America and because we've sent Germans here to work with the Indians. We've sent Germans here to work with churches. We sent Germans here to touch people like Jerry Strong in a way that I could never do. And I just, I'm so excited about how you give and God gives back. You just throw your bread out there on the water and it's going to come back to you. I want to tell you, you give and God will return that gift far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Well, let's, let's, let's go on to finishing the race here because that's just part of the race, but let's take, let's take a look at this. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith in the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing father I pray that you would bless this word to our hearts today let it be a major motivator in our lives to be involved in all that your will entails in Jesus name now, when you normally hear this, 
People will either focus on, I fought the good fight, and they're going to talk about spiritual warfare and how you can overcome temptation and deal with issues in your life. If you come to the point where it says, I have finished the course, you start talking about how do I finish well. That's especially a thing that you talk about with, with uh, leaders, isn't it? And you sit there and say, well, how can I finish what God has given me to do? And if you're going to have kept the faith, then you're going to sit down and say, well, that's what you preach at funerals, and they were faithful to the end, and that's where we hear, that's basically what, where we hear this scripture. Well, a few uh, months ago, I was reading C.S. Lewis in uh, his Reflections on the Psalms, just a little tiny book, and there's one section in there that he deals with uh, dual meanings, and he starts pointing out that there are a lot of psalms that on the one hand, sort of like Psalm 22, where David has this impressive lament, the issues that he's going through and he's feeling in his heart, and, and then and then suddenly you begin to see that there is another side to that psalm. He has perfectly described a crucifixion even before anybody had ever been crucified. The Romans hadn't shown up when David wrote that. And so 1,500 years later, Jesus not only from the cross shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he goes through how his bones and everything else, I mean, it's most incredible. They cast lots for my clothes. How did, how did David know that? You see, he didn't. He was writing his lament, and then the result is that we can look at it and see that there is another meaning to it that is far greater than anything that David could possibly have, have understood. It was a very prophetic thing. Well, I, I, I love that kind of, I, I, I just love that kind of thing. Let's take a look at this again. Let's say that Paul wrote this, knowing that he was coming to the end of his life, and he's understood that he's done what God has called him to do, and now he's in jail, and, and, and it's coming to an end. But what if this is not just about Paul? What if we can look back and say, there is another one who is even greater than Paul, he has come, and when he fought the good fight, he defeated sin. When he fought the good fight, he defeated death. When he fought the good fight, he defeated the devil and all of his evil de demons, all of it. He is the greatest victor of all time. His name is Jesus. Whoa! When you want to talk about victory... This is the victor. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to tell you there is a great victor amongst us. The second thing is, you can say, I finished the course. He says, Father, I have come to do your will. He prayed again, nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. Again, he prays. And when he carries it out, he accomplishes the will of God. He does everything that the Father has desired him to do. And he accomplishes it. Woo, hallelujah. What a great, great course he's run. You can take a look and say, I've kept the faith. He kept the faith. He kept the faith while he died on a cross that his father would raise him again everlasting. Woo, hallelujah. He knew what faith was about. He knew how to hold on to his father's word and not to let go and to stand strong and say, this is the way. And he walked right through death and out of the grave. He ascended unto heaven and he received the crown, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He sat down to rule and reign in righteousness. He is the greatest one. 
you take a look at that, and oh, you can say, what? that's all about Jesus. If you want to sit down and say, well, I'm just going to look at the victor, then this is a good one. And that tends to be our attitude here in the West, primarily here in the United States. We're looking for the great ones, the ones that have succeeded, the ones that are the big names that are out there. You got a big name and people start to gravitate and get the big crowds and everybody goes to hear them, see them. If you take this verse and only begin to look at it from that perspective, it's kind of like how many of the Olympic marathon runners do you remember? Can anybody tell me who last won the marathon in <laughs> the last marathon and set a world record for running? <laughs> he was Kenyan, as many of them are. He actually won it twice. He broke his own world record the second time. Eliud Kopchepka, something like that. <laughs> he wants to do it again next year in Paris. He's excited about it, but it's not really sort of a name that we remember. And all the other runners that were there, go back to that picture, please, of, of all those runners in finishing the race. Look, look at that. Look at all those people there. <laughs> and, and yet there's, there's none of them that any of us know. <laughs> They're all out there running this race. I learned something that the race is not about whoever is the fastest, the best, the strongest, and has won. And, and before I go on to the rest of this story, because I think that there's something far greater than just saying that Jesus is the greatest victor. There's something more to this that, that brings us into a greater depth of understanding of the purposes of the Father. And, and to help you give you an idea of that, let's look at the Iditarod race. Iditarod is run every year in uh, March from Anchorage to Nome, Alaska. It's almost a thousand miles. You're running with a team of dogs and uh, you go through all kinds of issues, storms and everything else. It's a mess trying to race with all these sleds during snowstorms and sleet and who knows what all is going on. And there's something, though, about this when the race is over. It could be that some guy makes it through on a special time, one march in maybe seven days. But the thing is, the race is not over. The people do not stop watching the race until the last team has crossed the finish line. Interesting, isn't it? So if there's 65 racers out there, they count every last one, and then they celebrate. I found something out from one of our missionaries to the Philippines, Michelle Logan. You probably know, some of you may know the Logans. <laughs> she, she and her husband run marathons. They have a, a son that they adopted who is quadriplegic. Is that, is that right? And, and so the, they put him in a wheelchair and run a marathon so that as a family they can run the marathon. She told me about this. 
marathon called the Dream, the Dream Marathon that they run every year in the Philippines. Fantastic marathon. It's done by people who have, are, are very successful in running marathons. They, they take people who've never run them before, and 22 weeks ahead of the race, they start to train them. And so you've got these experienced marathoners working with the new ones that are just coming on. And uh, they spend time with them, work them through, and then when they go into the race, the first ones that cross the finish line ahead of all these other first and second timers that are doing it, turn around and go back to the folks that are at the end and they run with them and encourage them, running with them until they cross the finish line. It is something that with the end, the great rejoicing happens when all the first-time marathoners make it to the end. That, for them, is the sign of success. Now, let's go back to our verse. Let's take another look at this, this Bible verse here. That's not the Bible. There, that's the Bible verse. Suppose the meaning of this is not just about Jesus. Let's assume that the Father in heaven has got his own vision, his own goals, his own desires, and what he wants to accomplish, he wants to let us know about it. He wants all of us to understand something about what he has planned and what his will is and what his goals are. It's not something that he's hidden from any of us. But when he wants to talk, the father now, when he wants to talk about finishing the race, running the course, keeping the faith, he is not just looking for the superstars. Indeed, Jesus understood this. He understood that in the midst of all that's going on, he says in, well, I'll just read it. This is in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, uh, seven, sorry, well, there is one in 14. <laughs> I'm going to look at 17 in verse 11. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in my name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. His goal here is not just for the superstars, he wants those who believe in him to become one with him in the same way that he's one with the Father. And then he goes on in, in uh, chapter uh, 17. He goes on in verse 21, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe. In me through the word. All of a sudden, this is a little bit different, isn't it? The focus here isn't upon a super person. The focus here that Jesus has is that we're all going to be one. This is not uniformity. This is unity that comes. And when Jesus ascended on high, what did he do when he sat down at the right hand of the Father? He poured forth his Holy Spirit and poured it out upon all who believe. 
When he pours out his spirit, he gives us the spirit of creativity. He gives us the spirit of insight. He gives us the spirit of, of change and transformation. He gives us the spirit of power. He gives us the spirit of kindness. He gives us the spirit that is able to transform a world that is in sin and change it. And he does it through every single one who will believe. Why? Because when we are one together with the same goal and the same vision with what the Father has and the vision and the goal is that when you get to heaven, there will be people there from every single ethnic nation, ethnic tribe, every single language, every single race. They will all be there worshiping and praising the Lord. A number that no man can count is going to be present at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And when we get there, my goodness, we're not going to be finished until the last one crosses the finish line. It's the finish line. And it's got to be the weakest and the last, but the one who still loves God from all of their hearts. And how does that happen? It's because you and me, this church, and all the others who call on the name of the Lord have understood that this is God's will and intention. And we need to cry out and say, God, what is my role? People who just say you have to pray, give, or go haven't understood the scope of what missions is about. They haven't understood all that has to happen in people's lives to change and transform them. They don't understand the needs that they face or how they understand, how they read, how they understand stories. They don't understand how we have to train and equip. They don't understand how it's more than just one thing, that people of every tribe and nation have the ability to become those who are a part of this worldwide endeavor that the Holy Spirit is developing and working. Every one of us needs to call upon the name of the Lord to send out, cast out workers, laborers into the harvest field. How does He do that? The minute you say, Lord, cast out somebody into the mission field, you know how God's going to reply? He says, okay. How about you? <laughs> if you're that keen, how about you? And you know, you can learn how to do that. Whether you're a quadriplegic, whether you are at home, whether you are bound to your bed, or whether you can get up and travel the world. There are things that a creative God starts to put into the hearts and minds of his people who listen, who can come up with things that reflect the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has imparted into your heart, into your life, and he can take a hold of that, and he can say, I want you to do that here and there and over there. Missionaries, I tell you what, I needed Bruce to come and visit us on the field. I needed Brother Bill to come visit us on the field. Those were important moments for us. And it bound us together with both the sending people and the prayers of the church to also know that they understood the things that we were facing. We needed to have people who wrote to us, not just sent us money anonymously. We needed people who were willing to see the need and to say, how can we be involved? And how how can we be creative in our involvement with that? 
It's not something that we just do because we're called to do it or somebody says, let's give money because it's what we can do. But people who say, God, here's my gift. How can I use the gift that you have put inside of me to help see the kingdom of God become visible throughout the world? How many people are exempt from this call? How many believers are exempt from this call? Not a single one. Not a single one. You may not have understood that that when Jesus decided to save you, that he was going to make you one with the Father and one with the Father's will. But what happens then is that the running the race is that our great goal. See, God is creative with vision. He's creative with goals. He's creative with methods. He's creative. Oh my goodness, he is so creative. He can change the means by which we do things. He has such a variety out there. Such a variety. It doesn't have to be done one way. But when we start to open our hearts and our minds and we start to pray and pray with one another, something begins to happen on the inside of us and we become initiators of world mission right where we are. And maybe it will launch you. Maybe it will. Not everybody is launched, but everybody is involved. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) What an incredible thing. God doesn't want any one of us to not be involved in the great, great vision of the marriage feast of the Lamb. We're all to be a part of that. Father, I want to thank you that your desire right here today is that we would call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, how can I be involved with the gifts that you've given me in the Great Commission. How will you use me, my influence, my words, my abilities? Lord, I'm appealing to you to teach me by the power of your Spirit how my gifts and my life and my words can transform that which is far beyond my reach. Far beyond my reach. You know, when we take up that offering for those books today, not a single one of those imams or Muslims in northern Mozambique will know a single one of you. Not one of them. They will have no idea where their bicycles came from or their motorcycles came from. And yet, without, without you it wouldn't be happening to transform lives. Do you see that? What an incredible event. But that's just one way. There's a lot more. And we need to say, Lord Jesus, if that's what you are calling out, Lord Jesus, how will you use me? Will you just stand where you are and let me pray over you? Just stand and say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I need you to show me how I can become a world changer.
Lord Jesus, we want the race to be finished with all that you have determined that would become a part of that eternal kingdom. When the last one crosses the finish line, we want to be there cheering them on. Father, there is a great need out there, and we need those who are going to be the workers, the transformers, the investors, the creative thinkers, the visionaries, the goal setters, those who develop methods and those who develop new means. Lord, so that all may hear. And I pray, Father, that this church would continue to grow in their vision and understanding of what it means to be a part of the greatest race. And that they would use all of the wisdom and faith that you've imparted into their hearts to see that the kingdom of God is going to be expanded, transformed, and changed. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Tremendous work. Thank you for the challenge. I love it. We're all in the race, and they're going to wait for the last person to go across the finish line. I've never heard a preach like that of you. That is so unique. I love it.